Today, we're going to start a journey through the book Song of Solomon. Now, you might think, why on earth would we do that? And it's a long story. About six or seven years ago, I felt directed by the Lord to spend a lot of time studying this book. Part of the reason was I was connected with the International House of Prayer. How many of you listened to Mike Bickle teach this book? It's a phenomenal, phenomenal teaching. It's about 24 hours long. <laughs> uh, I've gone through all the notes. Mike's kind of like me. He sticks to his notes pretty good. So you can read the notes and you can go fast, which I appreciate. But anyway, I spent a lot of time studying this one summer when I had off when I was a teacher. I went through and I took a whole bunch of notes. I listened to a bunch of teaching. And then I sat down at my computer and I taught through this thing verse by verse. It took me about 13 hours. I recorded it so I could give myself notes. I always try to be like Andy Reid and give myself, I watch the tape on Monday morning and give myself pointers. But <laughs> I'd encourage you, uh, how many of you ever, if you've ever been in some kind of ministry training or something, or you've listened to somebody teach about ministry, a lot of times people will say, don't study to teach other people. Ever heard anybody say that? All right, what they mean is, don't study purely for other people's benefit. Study to feed yourself and then other people, right? But I would say this, absolutely study as though you have to teach somebody else. The reason is that the, the most revelation I get, a lot of times, not a lot of times, sometimes people ask me, how do you understand the stuff you do in the Bible? It's because I... I study it as though I'm going to have to explain it to other people. When you do that, you understand it a lot better. Now, you don't have to. Uh, there's thousands of messages I've preached just to myself. But in doing that, I understand it better. When I was in Bible college, I took this class from Pastor Lawson about how to fill out your 501c3 paperwork and become a a nonprofit. I took the class. I listened really good because I thought I might have to do it someday, and I understood about zero of it. But then I went and worked for Pastor Lawson, and I became his substitute teacher, and he made me teach that class. <laughs> so I listened to it again, and I studied it with the intent that I was going to have to teach it to other people. And you know what? I understood it. And then when we did this church, I filled out the, my names on all the paperwork. I saved us several thousand dollars in lawyer fees doing that. And so, anyway, I'd encourage you to study as though you want to explain it to somebody else, but do it for your own benefit, not just for somebody else. I did that with this book. I sat down and I taught it verse by verse. I listened to it and I thought it's pretty good. And so I put it on YouTube. I'm going to give you the link to that. I forgot to do it on the paper, but I will give it to you. Um, it's a little bit rough. I did it at my computer. You can hear my dog walking around. And I didn't have all the revelation that I do presently. Some of the stuff I would teach differently. I was still a little bit mad at religion back then. So have mercy on me if there's parts in there where I'm a little hard on people. I try not to do that anymore. But anyway... But if you, want a, if you want a verse by verse teaching, 
that's available. I'm not going to do that here. Sunday morning doesn't lend itself, I don't think, to that. I'm going to give you the highlights. Today I'm going to give you an introduction, and then we'll dive into the text next week. I put that up on YouTube, really just for the heck of it, and it's, it's my most watched thing that I've taught. And I, uh, I thought, well, maybe I ought to do that here. And I was kind of, I, I didn't know how I could do it in Sunday morning. But last Saturday, I was thinking about doing it, and I got a text message on my phone from some number I didn't recognize, and it was a link to a YouTube video randomly. So I clicked it, and it was a link to my own teaching. <laughs> it, was the, it was the first message in this series that I put on YouTube like seven years ago. And I thought, wow, that's really weird. And, and I was telling Casey about it. She's like, well, did you text to ask him who it was? And I was like, oh, I didn't think of that. So, so I texted. I was like, who is this? It turned out it was my friend uh, Daisy from Colorado. And she was trying to text this link to some friend because she was like, this really ministered to me. And she was trying to send it to her, to her friend. And then she told me this testimony. I'd helped her with some stuff. And she'd listened to my te this teaching that I did about this. And she was talking about how it helped her kind of embrace who she, she was. She um, is a worshiper. She's a musician, really good, but she never really felt like she fit very good up here on stage doing like Casey where, where you're doing a congregational thing. There's different graces to do different things, right? And um, she always kind of felt bad that she, she didn't feel totally comfortable up here doing this. She did. She led youth worship at our, at our old church. But anyway, through a, a series of things, God um, helped her understand who she was, and, and I got to play a small part in that. But now she has a music school, and she has 60 students, and she hired six teachers, and the thing is like exploding. She's doing really, really good, and it was really fun to talk to her. And she was like, you should teach this series. <laughs> and I thought, I thought and I don't, I'm not real big into signs. I like to be led by the internal voice of God, but I thought maybe this is God trying to talk to me, and I've had... Last year, I was at this other thing, and people told me to teach it. So anyway, we're going to do it. So we're going to go through this. Now, why would you do that? Well, the book, Song of Solomon, I think is one of the most profound books about the love of God. You can study Romans. You can study Hebrews, uh, a lot of these New Testament epistles, and you can understand what God did for us. And you can piece together how he did it. We know it's through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. But a lot of the why is sort of implied, or if it's stated, it's very matter of fact. Romans 5, 8 said that God commended his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He says God died for you because he really loved you, which is true, but it's very sort of matter of fact. I'm like, okay, yes, all right, that's why. Song of Solomon dives into, in a much greater way, the why behind the what and the how. And as we're going to find out, it's because he really, really loves you. But not in a dispassionate, detached sort of way, in a very real, tangible, experiential sort of reality. And if you can embrace that and understand it, it'll change your life. Additionally, as you study this book, it, it can give you a language and imagery to describe different seasons in your life. The, store, the book is a, it's a story about uh, the bride's journey from immaturity to maturity. And it's kind of cyclical because I've found I reach the end of the book and I start to think maybe I ought to start that over. 
because, because I realize, you know, as much as I've grown, I've still got a long way to go. Hallelujah. Anybody identify with that? And, and so there's, there's different seasons in our lives. And if you understand what's going on in this story, you can kind of see where you're at in the, in the story. And it gives you things to pray in those moments. It helps you see clearly, in my opinion, what's going on. If, if you understand what's happening, which I'm going to help you to do. And I, I pray this book. I, as we'll see in a moment, I believe it's a conversation between us and Jesus. I pray the book. I pray the prayers in here. And I hear God speaking these things back to me. If you learn to do that, it can really help you. I think, this will, I think this will really, I don't want to be a hype machine, but I think, I think this will really help people. I think it's going to push us towards something greater as a church. Uh, today, we're just going to give you some background. I'm going to talk to you about principles of interpreting the book and really just interpreting Scripture in general. So what is this book? How many of you, oh, I don't, I don't make you feel bad. So probably there's quite a few of you that haven't actually read it. I never read the book for a long time because I thought, well, that's weird. What's oh, all this stuff about your necks like the Tower of David and whatever? And, and, uh, <coughs> but the book itself, it's, it's pretty enig enigmatic. It's, uh, most people believe it's, it's a, like a poem or perhaps like a play. But regardless, it's a series of back and forth conversations between Solomon and this woman, the Shulamite woman. Some people try to interject a third character in the shepherd, but in my opinion, uh, Solomon is just dressed up like the shepherd. So I'll kind of explain that when we get there. So it's really, if you, just, if you just read it, what it is, it's a conversation between Solomon and the Shulamite woman. Then there's a few other characters. There's these people called the daughters of Jerusalem, and they're the watchmen. And um, that's how I said it rounds out the cast of, of characters. It's kind of like a play. We're going to study it as an allegory where Solomon represents Jesus and the Shulamite woman represents you. The believer, the individual believer. You can also study it where the Shulamite woman represents the church universal, and that's, that's beneficial, but my goal here is to help you personalize this. If you can do that, you can grab onto a language between you and Jesus that's really, really powerful. It'll help you grow. The scriptural justification for that, um, the Bible in the New Testament frequently refers to the church is the bride of Christ. I'm not going to take the time to fully justify that, but you've got scriptures there that say that. 2 Corinthians 11:12 says that I'm godly, excuse me, I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy because I've espoused you unto one husband. Paul says that he engaged us to one husband who is Jesus. Everybody with me? What this does is it shows that one way, one way, you can view your relationship with God is, is in the context of bridal theology, where Jesus is the bridegroom and you're the bride. That's not the only way to look at your relationship with God. I've spent a huge amount of time talking about viewing your relationship with God as He's the Father and you're the child. In my opinion, that's probably the most important one. If you can get that one right, all of your theology will start to, to be a lot better. After that, I think this may be the, the next most important one. Your identity flows from your view of the Father.
But your purpose in partnership with God tends to deal with how you view your relationship with Jesus in the context of, of bridal theology. In this book, we're going to find that in maturity, the bride starts to work with Jesus in partnership. Therefore, it's really important how you view marriage. And we'll revisit some of the stuff we did. If you haven't listened to my series that I did called Ties, where we undo a lot of wrong stuff about women and, and explain a lot of things about uh, marriage, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that. We'll cover some of that ground a little bit again, but it's, it's really helpful. Um, you can get it out there, too. But anyway, we're going to study this. It's a dialogue between Jesus and the church. It's meant to illuminate one aspect of our relationship with God. There's a bunch of these lenses. He's also our elder brother, right? He's the high priest. We're the priest. And Paul says he's our master. And then Paul describes himself as the bondservant of, of Jesus. He's actually referring to the Jewish practice of if you were a slave and you didn't want to leave your master, they would um, pierce your ear and you could be, you'd be a slave forever. And so Paul was saying, I'm free, but I love Jesus so much, I want to I serve him the rest of my life. And uh, that's a powerful way to view your relationship with God. So um, uh, there's, it's important to look at these different aspects. If you look at one, one facet of the diamond, you can get out of balance. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's kind of like describing an elephant. There's that old joke about three blind guys trying to describe an elephant. You heard that joke? And one, one, one guy grabs the tail and says, oh, an elephant is like a, it's, it's like a rope. Another guy grabs its uh, leg and says, no, an elephant's like a tree. And a third guy grabs its nose and says, no, an elephant's like a fire hose. Who's right? All of them. You've got to put the pieces together to get the full picture. Right? So it's important that we understand these different lenses and that we study them. As we do this, the trouble is that this book is, is really metaphoric and it's a symbolic text. So you've got to maintain scriptural discipline while you, while you study this thing. Um, I know from personal, you know, personal problems <laughs> that, that if, you, if you go to like the parables of Jesus or if you go to these symbolic texts, and that's where you start to build your theology, you can get confused really quickly. You can. These passages, they're meant to illuminate our theology. They're meant to paint pictures on our hearts, emotional pictures sometimes of what's going on. But the clearer texts in Romans and Hebrews and all the rest of the epistles, those are where we're supposed to build our theology. And whether you realize it or not, when you read a parable or you read a symbolic text like Song of Solomon, you're bringing all of your theology with you. And you'll interpret that book through how you view the, the rest of Scripture. This is why I really try not to debate people about, I don't try to debate people anyway, but I don't want to get into an argument with you about a parable because it's, it's subject to interpretation. It's, I mean, it's metaphoric. And, um, you know, I'll give you an example. In Matthew 25, there's this story where Jesus gives away these talents, gives away money to different people, right? And the, two, the first two guys, they do a good job with their money, 
And, and Jesus says, enter thou into the joy of the Lord. How many of you know this story? Yeah. Then, then the third guy, he gets one talent. What's he do with it? He buries it. And then when the master comes back, he gives it to him. And he, and he says, I knew you were a hard man reaping where you haven't sown. And so I, I was scared and I hid your money. Here you go. And the guy says, well, if you knew all that, you should have at least taken my money and given it to the banker. And then I could have had my money back with some interest. And he casts him out into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, that's a, that's a difficult parable. What's that mean? If, if, I, if I have a theology that says, you know what, the thing that God cares about most in life is money. Mm -hmm. if, if that's how I think, and I think, I think that if I, and if I have a works-based mentality of, of what salvation looks like, I can very easily look at that parable and say, you know what, if you don't manage your money right, God is going to send you to hell. Could I do that if that was all I looked at? Was that parable? And you can't argue with me, can you? Not, not from that parable. To argue with me, you've got to reach to something beyond the parable. Now, before anybody stresses out, what's that about? He's talking about he's <laughs> he's, he's talking to, he's talking about the word. All right. If I if I had more time, I'd I'd show this to you. But how do how do you how do you receive salvation according to the scripture? You look Romans ten nine and ten. You 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 hear you know you hear the word and you call in the name of Jesus. So it's like it's like the talents or the word. Hello. So if you hear the word and you bury it and you never act on it, you never accept Jesus as your savior then yeah, you can, you can be cast in outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, pastor, how do you, you, you understand that parable? Because I, I looked at the later texts. I want to show you something crazy that might stress some of you out, but let's just look at it anyway. John 16... Read this. Jesus, Jesus said this. Pastor Max didn't say this. Jesus said this. John 16, 12 and 13. I have yet many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. What's that mean? It means Jesus is talking to these disciples and saying, guys, I've been hanging out with you for three and a half years. I've noticed something. You are dense. <laughs> I'll say stuff to you like, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, and, and you'll think I'm mad at you that you haven't brought any bread. That happened. On the boat. He's saying... You need some help. I'm going to send. I'm going I'm to send the Holy Spirit, and He's going to change you on the inside, and then you'll be able to understand what on earth I'm saying. He's saying. He's saying. There's lots of stuff that I want to tell you about, but I can't because you can't bear it right now. Now, now, what's that mean? It means that. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where the, where the sayings of Jesus are recorded, there's a lot of stuff that Jesus didn't say. Right. Mm -hmm. 
Is that all right? Does that mean we don't, we don't, well, we don't like Jesus? No, we love Jesus' sayings. But one of the things Jesus said is, I need to say a bunch of stuff to you that's not going to be in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I'm going to send you instead the Holy Spirit, and He's going to guide you into all truth. Now, certainly that means that He lives in us. And how many of you are thankful that the Holy Spirit will help you interpret the Bible? Okay, but... but he really, in this context, he's talking about Pentecost and that, that the Holy Spirit's going to fall on, on uh, Peter and James and later a guy named Paul, who's absolutely brilliant and was created to write Scripture. What he's saying is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak to people and they're going to, all this parables and stuff that you don't understand right now, the Holy Spirit's going to reveal it. And then somebody, thank God, is going to write it down. All right? So that's why, we go to, that's why we go to Romans and whatever to understand the Bible. Because, because if we do that, then we can look at the, the New Testament and we can, we can understand stuff that goes on in the Old Testament. Now, I was thinking about this and I was asking the Lord... You know, why, why did Jesus leave it up to like Paul and Peter and James to fully articulate the gospel? It's a good question, right? Why didn't Jesus do it? And he says, well, I mean, for one reason, he says, if I'd have done it, nobody had understood <laughs> what I said. In fact, he does do it. I mean, you can find the whole gospel, especially in the book of John. The book of John is the believer's gospel. I love the book of John. Is, is just, I've been reading it in the Passion Translation. It is so good. I was weeping, but anyway. Um, focus. Why didn't, why didn't Jesus just, just do this? And I, and I, he actually reminded me of a message I preached years ago, and I made this, I made this point. God creates people with purpose, and then He trusts them to fulfill their purpose. I believe Paul was created to write those scriptures. And if you think God is going to rob him of his created purpose by doing it for him, then you don't understand who God is. I believe that one of the reasons I'm, I'm here is, is to interpret Scripture. Now, I'm a small part of God's plan and whatever, but I, I, I know that this, when I study the Bible and I get it communicated to you, I feel alive in ways that, that I don't doing just about anything else. I was born to do this. God created me with that purpose. The Holy Spirit helps me to do it, but He doesn't do it for me. And when I do it, I can feel His pleasure. He enjoys it, and I enjoy it, and it's awesome. And I was thinking about this. With Paul, it's magnified so much because Paul actually understood <laughs> the whole book of Romans. I mean, think, think about this. This is staggering. Peter says that the, that the Old Testament prophets 
They longed to look into and understand the stuff they were writing. They just saw stuff and they wrote it down or it was dictated to them. And they had no idea what it was about. Paul actually understood what he was saying. It's phenomenal. It's remarkable. It was his purpose. It was Peter's purpose. And, and I, I can imagine the pleasure of the Lord partnering with Paul, revealing it to him. You know, he talks about this, that, he, that he, he received the gospel by revelation. No man taught it unto him. He, he went to heaven and talked to Jesus about it, and then he had the pleasure of writing it down, working it out, going back in the Scripture, finding the Old Testament verses that proved it. I mean, we take it for granted. But do you understand how remarkable it is that Paul... In Romans 4, he was apparently reading back through Genesis, and he sees this verse that says, Abraham was justified by faith. And all of a sudden he thinks, oh my gosh. For thousands of years, me and my Jewish brothers and sisters, we've missed the whole thing. It's not our works, it's our faith. And it was way back there in Genesis. And everybody missed it. Just like when Jesus, just like when Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, and nobody knew what he was talking about. I mean, can you imagine how, what that was like for, for Paul? I just think that's phenomenal. So anyway... We've got these texts because, because God likes people. You say, well, that's not a good reason. Well, it is a good reason. That's why all of you are here. God created you with a purpose. I don't know what it is, but I mean, you were born to do something. What makes you come alive? And when you do that thing, the pleasure of the Lord is upon you. And he enjoys it, and you enjoy it. That's a good word. Letter E on the back. What I'm going to try to do then is, is take what I understand from the New Testament, and I'm going to, I'm going to interpret this book through that. I'm going to take a whole bunch of grace theology and interpret this book. Therefore, there's going to be things that I see a little bit differently than, than maybe other people have explained it, and there's things I see differently than when I taught it seven years ago. Um, if you keep coming to church here, it's not that I ever try to teach anything wrong. I work really hard, but I'm always trying to grow. So I'm going to be a better teacher in five years than I am now, so look out. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, Letter E, it's impossible to be extremely dogmatic about our interpretation because of the enigmatic nature of the song. I honor any interpretation that brings glory to Jesus. So I'm going to tell you how I view all this, but it's, it's pretty complex. So if you want to see it a little bit differently, I'm not going to fight you. Everybody all right? The whole point is, is, to, is to understand how much Jesus loves you. I've given you an overview of how the song works there. Um, 
I'm not going to go over that. That's for your own benefit. But letter J, it says that the, the song, it's the story about the bride's growth from immaturity to maturity. And about halfway through, there's a shift. So the topic of the first half is mostly about our inheritance in Christ and how much Jesus loves us. But then there's a flip, and it switches to Christ's inheritance in us and our love for Jesus. And both things are important, but the one has to come first. So let's read the first two verses, and then we'll leave it here for today. Everybody all right? Song of Solomon, verse 1 and 2. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon. So he's saying this is the best song ever written. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. We'll develop this further next week. But this book starts with a prayer. This is the bride speaking, and she's saying to Jesus, let me experience your love. What are kisses? They're there are ways in which we express love. My kids love it when I kiss them. And I love to kiss them, and I don't care who sees it. This is, this is a little heavy, but I'm going to tell it. I, the, the Nazis, um, during World War II, they did a bunch of terrible experiments, right? One of the things that they did was they, they wanted to see what would happen if you took babies and you met their physical needs, but you didn't meet their emotional ones. They fed them. They changed them. They met all their emotional needs, they, but they, they didn't talk to them. They didn't cuddle them. They didn't kiss them. They didn't, they didn't demonstrate affection. They all died. You're birthed into this world with a need for affection. My daughter, she's eight months old. She, she knows. She doesn't understand, but she loves when I kiss her little fat little cheeks. <laughs> she's trying to learn. She's trying to figure out how to kiss my wife. It's so funny. She's just like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> like rubs her mouth on Molly. She loves Molly so much. She, she likes me until mom shows up, but... But we come into this world with a, with a need for affection. Similarly, you are birthed into the kingdom with a need for the Father's affection. You are. And it's okay. And it's okay to pray, God, let me experience your love. In fact, if you don't like that poetic language, I know the poetic language trips people up. It shouldn't. If it makes you feel weird, it's probably because we live in a hypersexualized culture. There's nothing weird about that. Turn over to Ephesians, though. Paul prays this exact same prayer. He just does it without poetic language. He says in Ephesians 3, verse 14, For this cause I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, on whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. Here's what I'm praying for you, that as we go through this, that you would be strengthened on the inside of you. Because for you to receive the amount of love that God wants to give you, you need to toughen up. You've actually got to be supernaturally strengthened in order not to be destroyed by how much God loves you. 
And then he says that he would grant you. I already read that verse. <laughs> verse 17. That Christ might dwell in your hearts by faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. If you, if you study that out in the Greek, it's saying that you would experience the love of Christ which passes mere intellectual knowledge. My prayer for you is that you would really experience in a powerful way how much God loves you and that it would transcend just some mental ascent where you think, okay, yeah, God loves me. I want to suggest to you that this prayer is at the beginning of Song of Solomon for an important reason, which is it's the introduction into the Christian life. Until you're willing to pray the prayer, God, let me experience your love, you are not going to grow. It's the introduction. Step one. A lot of times people are birthed into the family of God and they're told, you know what, step one of this family is you need to go to work. No, it's not. Now I'm happy, thank God. Please come work here. Please come help us set up this stuff, all right? I appreciate all of our, our people that serve. But step one is not serving. Step one is, do you know you're loved? Have you allowed the Father to hold you in, in His arms? Have you allowed Jesus to kiss your face? Does that imagery freak you out? If it does, you need to pray the prayer. What if Jesus walked in here right now and said, I want to kiss you on the face? I love this man, Leif Hedlund. How many of you heard of Leif Hedlund? Yes. A couple people. Leif kisses people on the face, and when he does, the fire of God touches him. <laughs> it's amazing. I was listening to Bishop Joseph Garlington. He said, don't let Leif kiss you. <laughs> you won't get up for a couple days. Let's all stand up. I'll go into this more next week. I think we're at the start of a journey. If I could have my prayer team come down here. And I want to set us off right. So we're going to pray this prayer. We're going to pray that you'd experience the love of God in a deeper, fresh way. I'm going to pray for everybody. If you want personal prayer, you can come down in just a moment and pray with one of our prayer ministers. And don't forget, it's Pizza Sunday. But look... The first thing to do is understand that you're loved. Very first thing. Sometimes you got to come back to the basics. There's a, there's a grace on that. I'm, I'm going to hang there for just a minute. I, there's lots of you here that you've, you've thought, whether somebody told you this or what, but you've you thought that God really dealt with you, that what made you special is, is whether or not you did this for church or did this for Jesus or whatever. And you, you need to see yourself as a, as a little baby and recognize that, look, before I can do anything for God, I've got to be loved. I've got to, I've got to get past my insecurity and I've got to let the, the arms of the Father wrap around me and I've got to see that he wants me and he loves me. You know, my kids, they can't do anything for me. <laughs> my son's getting ready to. 
He can help a little bit. But even when he helps, it's not real helpful. But I don't care. Because I want them. Because they're mine. Father, we love you. And I thank you that you love us. Father, I pray for your people that you would kiss them with the kisses of your mouth, that you would reveal to them, Jesus, how much you love them, that you, that, that would become first place in their hearts, that, that the pursuit of encountering your love and affection, that that, would, that that would dominate our lives so that when we have opportunities to minister and serve, we're just giving away love that we already have. We thank you, Father, that you're doing that, that we're at the start of a beautiful journey and that you're helping us to grow in this revelation. We receive that from you. We thank you for it in Jesus' holy name. Amen.